I don't know if it's ever been so dire. So much that has seemed solid and sure feels like it's up in the air. People look around and they, they are in a world they don't recognize. They're wondering what happened. They're wondering what the future holds. They're wondering what kind of world their kids are going to inherit. So in the face of this, some people are saying, well, it's time for a cultural war. What we need to do is we need to mobilize our people and mobilize our resources, and we need to grab for what we think we've lost and win it back. That the path forward for us is when we are confused and scared in this world we don't recognize is for us to put every resource to reaching out and grabbing and creating the future. Some other people in the midst of this are saying, actually, the path forward is to separate, to close ourselves off. Things have gotten too bad. We don't want to be polluted by the world we find ourselves in. So we need to close ourselves off, keep our heads down, and stay quiet. Now, it might surprise you that I'm not describing 2022. I'm not describing America or even the Western Hemisphere. What I'm describing is the world of the prophet Jeremiah. 7,000 miles away from here and 2,600 years ago. When he wrote the words we're going to read in a moment, the Israelites had been in the promised land for over 800 years. 800 years. Let me put that in perspective. The, the signing of the Declaration of Independence was 246 years ago. So the Israelites at the time of Jeremiah had been in the promised land, physical Israel, for the length of time of America's national history, times three and So it's a long time. God had brought the Israelites into this land with a mission. I'm placing you in this land to be committed to loving God and loving neighbor. Listening to God's instruction and being a light to the nations around them. And in those 800 years, they had gone from being a loosely associated collection of tribes who had a similar family background to being a kingdom. United under a king with a temple. In their capital city. A temple, the house, the the palace of God. In a sense. But things had gotten bad. In these 800 years, things had gotten very bad. There was widespread oppression. There was mistreatment of people. There was worship of false gods. There was mistreatment of the land. They were supposed to be a light to the nations around them. But they had become a place of incredible darkness. In all of this, God had been faithful. He had sent sent prophets, inspired them to direct the people back to God. But the oppression, the idolatry, the disregard of God and others had to continue until God declared that what he was going to do was send his nation into exile. He would remove them from the promised land. It was almost like a hard reset. Our passage this morning that... Derek is about to read for for us, was written just after the exile had begun in 586 B.C. Jeremiah is writing to a people that had just watched 800 years of their family history and their national history wiped out. And they look around and they find themselves thousands of miles away in Babylon. And Jeremiah, through Jeremiah, God gives people instructions about what to do. Now that you're strangers in a strange land... How do you live in this world where you're confused, struggling, or even fearful? Now to read our passage this morning, um, Derek Jones. Good morning, everyone. Uh, We're going out of Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah 29, 4, 7. Um, scripture, verse 4 says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carry into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant in gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they, may too, they, they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Seven, also seek the peace and prosperity of the church to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because it is, if it prospers, you too will prosper. Thanks, dear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that in it we have light into our darkness, that your word is you revealing who you are and what you're about. And so you give us insight into who we are in you. So as we focus our time this morning on what you wrote, what you inspired through the prophet Jeremiah all these years ago, give us insight to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and our calling and following after him right now in 2022 and in, in the places you've put us. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this passage answers a question, what does it mean to live lives that are captured by God's grace in the middle of maybe a less than ideal situation, in the middle of exile? And it gives us two directions to consider, and the first one is this, it's toward ourselves, toward ourselves, and and this is the instruction, pursue good, pursue flourishing. Look at verse 5, God's instruction to them is build houses and settle down. They're walking into exile. Like I just said, 800 years of national history wiped out seemingly in a moment. They find themselves in a strange land. And God's instruction in the midst of exile is unpacked. Notice he says build houses. He doesn't say set up tents. He doesn't say stay at the you know, weekly rate hotel because it's just going to last a short time. He says build houses and settle down. This will be your home now. And that's okay. Pursue good there. It says plant gardens and eat what they produce. Do you know how much time and effort is involved in planting, caring for, and harvesting a garden? I don't. I'm terrible with plants that never get to the last stage. But I can imagine, I've read about it in books, it takes a while. But it's saying plant and reap. While you're there, in this place you don't want to be, this place you never expected, pursue good. Verse 6 continues. Look, it says, marry and have sons and daughters. And marry your sons and daughters off too, so that they can have sons and daughters. That's three generations. That's three generations. God is telling his people through Jeremiah, this exile is going to last a lot longer than you want it to. But in the middle of this in-between time, because he's going to bring his people back. He's already said that. But in these 70 years, in these three generations, in this less than ideal place, increase in number. Do not decrease. But this isn't just saying that they're going to be in exile for a while. That was good information to have. Build a house. and Okay, we can build. It's also a subtle promise. Because they're looking around and they're finding themselves in a place they don't want to be with an outcome that they did not ask for. And did not want at all. It's a subtle promise here that even though things are worse than you can probably imagine, this isn't the end. That even in exile, you're thriving is possible. That even in the place where you kind of don't want to be, pursue good and know that your labor is not in vain. 
pursue good and see the fruit of that good. However, the original receivers of this letter wouldn't have just heard this as pursue just your own good. They would have heard this more along the lines of you as a community together. Mobilize your resources, not for a cultural war, not to reach for power and try to you know, overcome Babylon so that you guys can go back to the city you want to go to. Not reach out into the future and you know, try to craft it by power the way you want to. They would have heard, mobilize your resources for flourishing. Mobilize your resources for flourishing. I think there's a lesson here for us in pursuing our personal thriving, which is not a bad thing. Is tied up intimately with the people that God has placed us with. For the Israelites, their flourishing was tied up together with each other. So they couldn't consider, I am having a great successful life. I am flourishing in my life when their neighbor is not. They were intimately tied with one another. The lesson for us today as a church is that our good is intimately tied up with one another as well. But God's instructions here isn't just for pursuing good for ourselves and pursuing good for people in the church in just the same way that this instruction 2,700 years ago wasn't just pursue good for yourself and your fellow Israelites. This brings us to our second section. It's an instruction to pursue the good of others, even our enemies. Even our enemies. The answer to this less than ideal situation is not to mobilize for a culture war, not to close yourself off to the world around you, but it's verse 7. Look at it again. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God's not just telling the Israelites to impact, plant some gardens, and have some families for themselves. Flourishing isn't just inwardly focused, it's outwardly facing. They're aware they don't want to be, but they find themselves in that place with a calling. A calling to be a blessing to Babylon. To Babylon. Now I want to remind you, I mentioned it a minute ago, this is Babylon. This is the nation and the people whose army just ransacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Destroyed the temple of God sitting in Jerusalem. God is telling these exiled believers that their calling, while they are in Babylon, the homeland of the people, responsible for the destruction of everything they held dear, that their calling is to pursue their peace and prosperity. Not mobilize for a cultural war, but mobilize your resources for their good, for flourishing, your own and the Babylonians. This isn't just love your neighbor. This is love your enemy. Be about the good of your enemy. Let that sink in. God is telling these exiles that the path of faithfulness for them for the next three generations is to invest themselves and their lives to the task of the peace and prosperity of the Babylonians. That in 70 years when you return from exile, Babylon should not be the same place that it was when you got there. That your pathway of being people captured by God's grace in this strange world that you're scared of is pursuing their good. Mobilizing for their peace and prosperity. The peace and prosperity of the people responsible for the worst violence they've ever known. Now there's a lot to unpack here. But this is more than a historical document. 
has application for us. And that brings me to, I guess, my last section. Seeking the good in 2022. Seeking the good in 2022. This passage is at the very heart of our core value of compassion and outreach as a church. We aren't people. Now, I do need to say, we're not people that have had our worlds decimated by the people we've done. So we're not walking into Dunn going like, ah, they tore down my house or whatever. I don't know of any instance of that happening. But the New Testament does take the concept of exile and believers as strangers or foreigners in the world we inhabit, and it runs with it. It tells us that we are exiles because our ultimate home is not here, no matter how much we may like it, no matter how much we may have our dream home or a great job that we like, that our ultimate home is a new heavens and new earth where all things have been made new. So we're exiles while we're here in this world. But we aren't exiles because of judgment. God is not punishing us in Dunn or wherever he's put us. But we are here on mission. We we are here. You are in your neighborhood, even if you don't live in Dunn. You are there on mission. Called to pursue good for you and your family. So you you have freedom to pursue the good of you and your family. That's not a bad thing. And pursue the good and the peace and prosperity of the place to which God has called you. You've been called where you are right now in your lives to mobilize your time, your treasure, your talents for the good of your neighbor. No matter who they may be. To seek their peace and prosperity. So here's a couple of thoughts of how we, in 2022, can move forward. In that. And the first one's this. We invest our hearts. We invest our time. We invest our treasure in our church. We lean in on this being a community where we take our religious facades off, which I talked about, I think, two weeks ago. We walk in authentically who we are. Because we don't walk in here. This isn't a museum where we put our good deeds on display. This isn't a place where we walk in and talk about our credit score or how impressive our bank account might be. It's a place where we walk in. And we are all beggars who have found a feast. That's what church is. We are beggars, hungry, who have found a feast. And we are telling other beggars where the feast is. That's what the church is. And so we invest our time and our treasure and our talents here in our church, in our relationships with one another. We're purposeful about this. And we seek the good and the prosperity of each other. Because we've been knit together by God. That means we invest in each other's lives. We invest in each other's children's lives if we have kids. And that means going to soccer games. That kind of thing. That means opening up our homes to one another. That means during the week being purposeful about praying for one another. And reaching out to one another with words of encouragement and compassion. So that our church becomes a place... Not just a place where we like the music or we like the personality of the preacher, which I'm going to fail you eventually, um, or whatever, but where the church becomes a family. Number two, as a community people that have been bound together in love, we become a source of blessing, a fountain of blessing for Dunn, for the individual and for the individual neighborhoods and places where we live. 
We as a church have been called to for the peace and prosperity of done. And this may mean living in sacrificial ways. It does mean living in sacrificial ways. It means that we can get involved with things and not be in charge. In my experience in working with nonprofits and working uh, with, with, with other, here's a secret they don't want to tell you because they don't want to drive away volunteers. But a lot of places get a little antsy when churches call because they know that a lot of times when churches call to volunteer, churches want to be in charge. The churches can't volunteer unless they're kind of in control of all the different pieces. They're fine when individual Christians call or maybe a family calls, but when a church calls, it's, oh no. That's not every circumstance. And not every church is bad at that. Don't hear me say that. But our calling to the peace and prosperity of done, at least, can mean getting involved in things and serving in things and not being in charge. Just showing up. There's already great things happening in our city. There's a ton of people doing really good stuff. We don't need to create a new ministry every time we see a need. We can say, well, that person's already got their finger on the pulse of this issue. We're jumping in here. What needs to happen? How can I help? Not... Let me take the reins of this to make sure it's steered exactly where we want it to go. Another thing it means, it means that we pray against becoming jaded and pessimistic when things look rough in the community that we live in. This is a very real danger, and if we're not aware of it, it will sneak up on our hearts. We'll become jaded, we'll become pessimistic, because things will not go the way we want them to. So we'd be purposeful about praying against that. We're purposeful about seeing, uh, I don't like that person, but God's called me to their peace and prosperity. Maybe the person who has the political sign in their yard, or the candidate you don't like. It's easy to roll your eyes at that. It's easy to scoff at that. It's easy to scoff at any number of things. But what we're called to do is not scoff at the world around us that we think is stupid or ill-informed or whatever. We are called for their good, for their peace and their prosperity. And our peace and prosperity and our family's peace and prosperity is so intimately tied up with theirs. So that means this. That an essential question to every significant decision that we have in front of us. This is an essential question for every significant decision we make is this. How is this Pursuing the peace and prosperity of where God has called me. How is this decision I'm about to make impact the peace and prosperity of the place that God's called me to? That means we ask that question before we vote. That means we ask that question before we decide where we're going to spend our money, where we shop. It means we ask this question before we figure out where our kids are going to go to school or where we're going to spend our free time. We ask, how is this pursuing the peace and prosperity of where God has called me? Now, we're not going to answer that question exactly the same in every family every time. And that's fine. That's okay. There's no, you know, I mentioned school. There's no all Christians who are faithful must homeschool or all Christians who are faithful must private school or all Christians who are faithful must public school. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that that essential question must be asked. How is this pursuing peace and prosperity the place that God's called me? That may mean small things like cutting the grass of an elderly neighbor or a handicapped neighbor. 
and not posting a picture of it on Facebook to make sure everybody sees and applauds you. <laughs> it might mean doing it in secret and nobody ever finds out. It may be uh, becoming involved at the civic level in one way or another. It may be coaching sports. You know, things that you might not have even thought as this is a religious calling, God may be calling us to. Is that there's a thousand different things it can mean. But whatever it may mean, it absolutely, absolutely does mean that we don't live our lives asking only, how does this benefit me? How does this benefit my children? Where we are is not an accident. How does this decision lead to the peace and prosperity of my neighborhood, of my community, of my city? But here's the thing. It's not just seeking physical good. I've talked a lot about that. In an even more profound way, it means this. That we are purposeful about our church being a place where the gospel of Jesus can be heard and seen clearly. That we are zealous and passionate about the clarity of the gospel. It means being people who proclaim Jesus Christ, the one who saw our peace and prosperity. The one who experienced the greatest exile of being cut off from God for us. You know, I mentioned earlier that the New Testament takes that concept of, of being exiles in this world. And it applies it to us as we live in our current world longing for all things to be made new. But it applies it even more importantly to Jesus. Jesus, who in his time on earth resisted every temptation to grab power and make a name for himself. Jesus, who refused to bow down to other gods. Jesus, who was obedient to the Father, even unto death, the ultimate exile. Where he experiences the wrath of God against sin. You know, the exile in the Old Testament in the time of Jeremiah was a separation from the promised land. The so-called land of blessing that God had brought them to. And as devastating as that was, it pointed forward to an even deeper exile that Jesus would experience on our behalf. And Jesus came to rescue us. And because we, in our sin, are separated from God, He took on our sin to be separated from God on the punishment of the cross on our behalf. So when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? He did that so we never have to. Because on that cross we are reconciled to God. And in the work of Jesus, everything that stood as a barrier between us knowing the love of God is removed. Not just our sin, but death itself. That's the glory of the resurrection. When Jesus burst forth the grave, from the grave in victory, it's the declaration of good news. That everything has been removed. That the curse of death has been uh, 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 absorbed, in a sense, by Jesus. And His resurrection from the dead is a guarantee to us that the end of our story will not be destruction or decay or death. When we come to Him by faith, we receive the good news that the end of our story is vindication. The end of our story is life. The end of our story is God bringing to us all peace and prosperity that He has for us. In the here and now, Jesus is calling us to follow him. Not to die for people's sins. Guys, you can't do that. We aren't little messiahs. But he is calling us to follow him in, love, in living sacrificially. Knowing that God keeps all that's entrusted to him. That God crowns his grace with more grace. That he will take our small and meager offerings and he'll multiply them for his kingdom. 
and that there is no investment in the entire world that will give us returns, and I don't mean financial, that will give us returns like investing in the kingdom of God by pursuing the flourishing of our neighbors. Now we have a very small, seemingly maybe innocuous opportunity to live out this idea this Friday. Hot chocolate seems like a small thing. Good hot chocolate is not a small thing, actually. Um, but we have an opportunity to carve out time on a Friday night. Friday night, that's got to be like the most precious time, right? Um, maybe in your 20s. Um, not now. Sunday afternoon naps. Or, anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent. But Friday night, we have an opportunity to offer people the good of hot chocolate. And they don't need to come with their resumes. We don't need to hold the, the cup and say, okay, how many times did you send this week? Oh, 51? Sorry. 50 was the cutoff. No, we can just give hot chocolate. We can give a welcome and a smile. We don't have to come with ulterior motives. Well, the only motive we can come with is peace and prosperity, bringing joy to people. With a welcome, with an open door to know that not only can they find hot chocolate as small of a thing that is, but that God is at work in this community, not, through, not just through our church, but to reach out to people. That they can find a love that they did not earn and so they cannot lose, a love in Jesus that seeks them out. In closing, a compassionate outreach. Reaching out to people, not downward toward them from a high horse. Compassionate outreach is a tall order. Because seeking the good of our community can happen at the expense of our comfort. In fact, it almost by definition does. At the expense of our comfort, it wars against this impulse we find in our world and in our hearts to primarily just look out for ourselves and those who agree with us. And if we try to do this, not just in the short term, but in the long term, if we try to pursue the peace and prosperity of the places God has called us in our own energy, we're going to fall flat on our face. We're going to fail. Our good intentions are like a gallon of gas. And this is a 2,000 mile trip. Our good intentions are going to get us like barely out of the county. But the good news is that we don't pursue loving others well and their peace and prosperity in our own power. And we don't do this alone. In a, in a few minutes, I'm going to give a benediction, a blessing at the end of our service. And we do this every week. And it's not just words to say, it's a reminder. That God has the last word in this worship service, and as he reminds us in the words of number six, that that last word is peace as we go. His peace is upon us. His light, the light of his love for us shines on us as we walk out. So that he's not just attentive toward us when we're doing religious stuff, like hearing a sermon or taking the Lord's Supper, but he goes with us into our varied places in life, and as we are seeking peace and prosperity, it is His Spirit that empowers us. It is His intentions that can carry us past the limitations of our own good intentions. So as we hear this blessing in just a little while, hear it as an assurance that even though it might be scary to truly pursue the peace and prosperity of your neighbors, just as it was for the Israelites to pursue the peace and prosperity of the Babylonians, you are not doing it in your own strength, your own power. Lean on Him. 
lean on Him, and let's watch do let's watch God do incredible things right in front of our face. Let's lean on Him, empowered by Him, and see done prosper. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this calling and the assurance that we have that we are just following our own ideas about what it can mean to live in our world, but that we are following after you, you who seek our peace and prosperity. So empower us by your Holy Spirit beyond the, the, the limitations of our own good intentions or our own strength. Empower us, Lord, to walk forward in supernatural love for our neighbor. Work within us. Work in front of us. Work even in spite of us, God. To show this community who you are. Make your gospel loud. So that many may find your grace. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.